Hello, and welcome to Getting It Done, a podcast about music education and life lessons. I'm your host, Tim Rausenberger, and today is Wednesday, January 24th, 2018. This is episode 217, Emails from Educators. This podcast could have been titled many ways. I thought about correspondence, letters, notes, but the real issue here is email. And what I'm going to discuss in today's episode is what I consider to be a major problem when it comes to emails being sent to families by educators. I do not understand why in 2018 we are having this issue. And the reason I say that I don't understand it is because email has been around for a long time now, to the point where even the most archaic handbooks and policies with boards of education and, uh, and schools all across the country, almost all of them have updated things. I haven't worked in any school in the last 10 years that hasn't had some type of media clearance that needs to be completed by a child so their their photo or their name or their likeness can be used in some type of way when it comes to uh, any type of publicity related to the school. Yet, when we look at email, I am just baffled by the things that so many teachers do. And I would consider myself to be an authority on this topic because I used to be one of those people. I was known as the king of emails. Rausenberger emails were something of infamous folklore. Uh, And while they had a lot of detail, they were too long, just way too long. And I don't know why I did that. I think uh, I had very, very good intentions. I think that I wanted to make sure that everyone had uh, all of the information that they needed relating to a specific topic. But people don't read emails in their entirety unless they have the time and a lot of people don't have the time more importantly emails are definitely in the same type of um, uh, identity as texts or some type of messaging uh, through social media you think about Twitter 
Now, Twitter, of course, has expanded the number of characters you can use in a tweet, but it's only so long. A, a typical text is going to be, well, if you look at the, the text that you're sending, you can usually get about four lines done. And I don't, I, it varies as to how many sentences you're going to be able to get in there, but it's not a heck of a lot. By the time you get to the fifth line, you can even look and the phone will tell you that it's now going to go into a second text, which of course can get really crazy if you send a very, very long text. And if you've ever received the text uh, and it comes out of order, <laughs> it's almost like a jigsaw puzzle. You're trying to put it together. Well, when it comes to emails, uh, most of our society now, they think of them in that manner. So when you send an email out that's four, five, six paragraphs long, a lot of people don't want to read all of it. And there are a lot of things related to this that I want to get into today. And I really hope that, as I've said this so many times with my podcast, but I hope at least one person is going to get something out of this because it's a big problem. First, first things first, do not ever, ever engage in a back and forth dialogue with a uh, family. We'll just say family rather than just saying a parent, but with a family about any issue that could be the slightest bit contentious or just a sensitive topic, if it's something where you're just sending very, very quick replies back and forth about, about things, that's that's different. I'm talking about the types of emails where you've sent an email that's four pra- paragraphs long, you have said something in the email that sets off someone in that family, and now they send something back that's eight paragraphs long, and they've now decided to CC your principal or maybe even worse, the superintendent. And a lot of people have been there before. A lot of teachers have been there before in situations that are completely and totally inappropriate. Thankfully, I've always been in situations where my administration has had my back and they will read such emails and they will say this was completely inappropriate of the parents to do this and then they will sometimes have and sometimes have not gotten involved in some type of way. But I can tell you right now, the longer that email, the higher the possibility you're going to put something in there. Even that one word, that one sentence, that one phrase, that one comment that's in there that could really set someone off. And it's not worth it. See, when you're having a conversation over the phone with someone or having it in person, there is one thing that you're gonna be able to gain from doing that over sending anything in an email. And that is vocal inflection. And the way that you posture yourself, the way that you speak to the other person, if you can do it in a type of way where you clear, you can clearly 
convince the family member that you are a caring, uh, passionate individual who has their child's interests in mind, then you'll do fine. I can only think of, in my entire career, I can only think of one time in which a, a, a parent took something from a, a parent-teacher conference out of context. Only one time. And thankfully, it didn't really turn into much of anything. But having those types of conversations over the phone, in person, are always going to be far better than an email. So what does this come down to? If you are in a, if there's something going on, you make the, the family aware. The preferred way, honestly, is a phone call. But if not, you can simply send a message, and it can be through email, of course, stating that there is an issue that we need to discuss with you. You don't need to say exactly what it is. Once they see issue, they're going to know it's something. And parents remember more often than not, when they hear from the school, they are going to think the worst. That's just the way that it is. Because they drop off their children every day, expecting them to be following directions, to be on their best behavior, to be safe, to be cared for and supervised. And if a parent hears something, they, they will generally contact you pretty quickly. Now, there are some situations in which a long email can be sent. Uh, one particular situation, as an example, would be uh, sending out, let's say, a permission slip for something. Or it could be maybe an overview of what your, the children are going to be learning in class for the year or maybe a particular marking period. What my recommendation would be is not to send it in a very long email. Instead, uh, create a PDF that they will be able to receive somehow, whether it's one that you attach, which is not advised because when, whenever you attach any file to an email, you're running the risk of that email going directly into the spam, uh, the spam folder, because uh, attachments often can contain viruses and all that nonsense. Uh, what I have done in recent years is I will have the PDF saved somewhere else within the district server and they can just simply click on the link and the PDF opens up and you're good to go. And you have it on a nice school letterhead and it's an, it's now gone from an email to something that looks like a really official document. And when you send something like that, 
nobody's ever going to think of you as the annoying email person or somebody who's sending me something long. Rather, when they get that type of letter, it actually will look very odd if it, it is only a paragraph and two sentences long. If it fills out the entire paper, it's actually going to look more normal. But when you do that through email, it actually just looks like it goes on forever and ever and ever. And that was the problem that I ran into for so many years. Unfortunately, uh, parents, I think just, and unfortunately, colleagues and administrators, I don't know if they didn't have the heart to tell me. I don't know why, because nobody ever said anything to me. Uh, until many, many years later when someone finally said to me, Tim, your emails are too long. You need to make them much shorter. People are really not reading much past the first paragraph. And that person was so right. So I think the thing to keep in mind with this, keep your email short. Don't get into any type of dialogue at all. The second that that occurs, you need to shut it down. I mean, to the point where if you see some type of inflammatory type of email from a parent, I I wouldn't even respond by email. You may even have to uh, make your administrator aware of the situation. Uh, You certainly want to take as many avenues as possible before you just go to your administrator. Because if you do that too often, uh, your, your administrator is going to start to think of you as a little more of a pest and someone who's incapable of handling the situation on their own. Uh, so it, it is important to do everything that you can, everything in your power to handle the situation on your own. And uh, if you are unsuccessful, then you go to administration and perhaps they will be involved. Uh, In some cases, the administrators actually just told me, you know what, don't even worry about it. I'll take it. And we'll have, hopefully we'll have your back and you'll be in great shape. Now, I, I say this emails from educators and I've been talking about families, but I am utterly appalled at some of the other things that I'm hearing from, from, from teachers not having to do with emails going home, but emails going to students and administrators and I don't, I don't understand it. It's just, it's not making any sense to me as to what some people are thinking as they're doing this. If you're having any type of email with a student, it has to be a 1 billion percent professional. And I know that's not a number. I don't care. I, I'm making it a number right now. You have to keep things completely, totally, absolutely on the up and up. It cannot be a conversational type of thing. You don't use email to go back and forth and engage in a dialogue, certainly not with a student under any circumstances where it's almost now becoming like a text. Because the the reality of the situation is that you, I would like to believe that you whoever is listening to this and any other teachers out there 
are compassionate individuals who have a fantastic uh, relationship with your students, one where they feel safe and they feel comfortable. And in a lot of situations, they feel more comfortable with you than they even do at home. And what that can sometimes do is translate into now, uh, I know that my teacher, I can now communicate with my teacher uh, at any time of the day, and I can talk to my teacher now outside of school hours, which could lead me lead to what my next thing is going to be. If you get super technical about it, unless your contract says anything otherwise, you in almost every contract that I can think of that I've ever had in any job, uh, you are responsible for your email during school hours, during the hours that you are there, not when you're at home. Remember, when you access your email from locations that are not school-based, a school computer, a school laptop, something that's owned by the school, and you start, even if you take a school laptop home with you, and it's the one that is assigned to you. The second you access the internet from your home, the school server knows. They're able to identify that. They can go back and look at all of your digital footprints. So you have to be careful. And you just don't want to put yourself in a situation where you're living on your email. Again, I should know. I used to send emails at all different types of crazy hours. And while on, on, in some ways it could show some people that you can be very, very dedicated and it's very, very noble, there are some other people that quite honestly actually can take an issue with it. So uh, I'm not telling you to to ignore all emails if you're completely overloaded and you have a lot to respond to and just shrug them off till the next day every time. And I'm certainly not advocating for you to be waiting 96 hours before you respond to an email, which is completely and utterly unprofessional. I, I, I had a, a parent of a private student the other day and said that, you know, they emailed the, a teacher at the school. Uh, they've been waiting for two and a half weeks for a response. I just, I don't understand how these people have jobs. I don't get it, but I digress. Um, I, but in terms of the uh, the emails, really try to do as much as you can during the actual school day and on school grounds. And unless you are giving assignments to students, I would really try to avoid any type of comments you know you, you you don't want to be having the types of comments with students like just basic dialogue you'd be having in school that's not you don't want to do that in an email and uh i think that a lot of teachers do not understand that but the biggie is administration i had a colleague who not too long ago had a situation 
where his classroom was used overnight uh, by someone. It was a uh, classroom with a lot of, uh, it was a music classroom, had a lot of expensive instruments, and the instruments had been uh, clearly moved. The piano had been moved, there were some guitars that had been moved, some ORF instruments that were moved, and the chairs weren't right. Nothing was broken, nothing was stolen. It was just that things were a little bit out of place and a little bit of resetting to be done. The teacher, not a rookie teacher, a teacher who's been teaching for, we'll just say a long time. And a teacher who's who's even held leadership positions within the school district. The teacher actually sent this gigantic email to the principal. And I couldn't believe what I was reading in the email. I couldn't believe that the teacher was saying things like, how dare you have anybody in my room? There are expensive instruments in there. Something could have gotten damaged. Who gave these people the right? Why wasn't I told? Here's my simple answer to all of this. And hopefully you're going to hear this loud and clear if you're a teacher. You own nothing. Unless it's your own private, personal property, which you don't have to bring into school, you own none of it. It is not your classroom. It's the property of the school. It's the property of the school district, the board of education. When it comes to that, you don't have any say. You don't have any rights. At any given time, they can come into your classroom and say to you, listen, uh, we're going to be moving you into uh, this room that's a third of your size, and they won't say it that way, it's a third of your size, and you need to go here right now because we need your classroom because we need to do uh, state testing for the next two months. What are you going to do? Are you going to explode? Are you going to blow your stack? Or are you going to take time Allow yourself to process everything, say nothing until the right opportunity presents itself, which might be later on in the school day, it could be the next day, might be a week in which you find the person who ultimately is responsible for this decision and have a calm discussion with them. And just, you can ask questions. There's nothing wrong with that. You may not want to ask questions depending on the person that you're speaking to because it might be someone who's not interested in your questions and might be giving you snide remarks in response. You should have a very good gauge of how to read and listen to people and and, uh, I should say read their body language. 
there there are times in which administrators might be very, very overwhelmed. And you coming at them like a bull in a china shop and screaming and yelling about your classroom when administrators on a daily basis are more overwhelmed than I've ever seen in my career with so many different issues, that approach is almost never going to work. I would almost say it will never work. Can you document things? Could you send a brief email? Sure. I would actually recommend doing it after you've had the conversation and you memorialize it. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. That's professional. But to be sending that same obnoxiously long, detailed email to to principals. And by the way, one more thing, and I learned this a long time ago. If there is ever a safety concern in the school, you're walking down the hallway and you see uh, the fire, a fire extinguisher, it has the, the, uh, the, the door and let's say the door is open. Now we know the door is not supposed to be open for the fire extinguisher. Let's say it's open. Do not send an email to your principal to let them know. Because the problem is when you send an email with a safety concern, the principal has to act on it immediately because it's a major safety concern. And you're probably going to say, well, what's wrong with that? Uh, I can actually tell you what's wrong with it. Everything is wrong with it. Because the principal is going to get very aggravated when you put it in an official document. Because no matter how nice you say it, you're almost telling the principal, this is what's going on. I am doing your job for you and I'm telling you what you need to be doing. I'm not telling you to look the other way. The way to handle that situation, just go up to the principal. Just let the principal know on the side, hey, I just wanted to let you know, I was walking down this hallway, I just happened to notice this. Your administrator will be so grateful to you. That's the way you handle the situation. Not sending an email. I think that there are People that are so passionate, they are so, uh, they love their jobs so much and they want to do the right thing and they want to cover their tracks and everything. But I have, I am living proof that sending these long emails, especially now in 2018 with where things are at. I don't think it's the way to go. The only way that it would be the way to go is if your administration tells you and they say to you, your email has to be very, very detailed. If that's the case, then you got to follow their directions. Otherwise, I can, almost every handbook that I've read and almost every board of education policy is echoing a lot of the things that I'm saying. And I quite simply don't understand why in this day and age, there are so many teachers who are struggling with this. And I hope that uh, people will get something out of this this uh, episode today. There are so many other things that I could have addressed, and I, I just don't want the episode to be three hours long. But a lot of this can also 
go right into social media. And uh, that'll be another podcast episode for another day. But you always have to remember, you are a, you need to conduct yourself as a professional at all times in these situations. And like I said before, you own nothing. You do not own any of those things. All of those things that are in your classroom are property of the school or school district. And if you run in your personal belongings, there's nobody telling you that you have to have those personal belongings in there. And I'm sure somebody's going to say, well, I don't have this. I don't have this. That's on the school. That's on them. But if you're going to spend your own money, you're taking your own risk. And I know of many teachers and they'll just take their belongings and they'll lock them into a lock them in a closet when they leave at the end of every day to make sure that they're safe or they take them home. I do my own instruments. I don't, I don't ever leave my, my professional instruments in school ever. Not in a million years would I ever do that though. They come home with me all the time and any other possessions of mine that I have in school, they're locked up. I don't ever leave them out in the out in public for anybody to just walk off with. And if I do, I know that I'm taking that risk. So keep all of these things in mind when they're associated to emails. Whenever you are having any type of communication, and if you have any questions at all, it's so easy. Ask a trusted colleague who works in your district on how the policy works. If you're a rookie teacher, you should be asking these, you should be asking the exact, these exact questions to someone you trust or just ask the administrator. They'll be happy to answer it for you. How do I handle this type of situation? Much better to do that and be proactive than have to be reactive to a, a uh, contentious uh, email situation. I hope, as always, that this episode has been helpful to you. Thank you for tuning in to listen uh, today. Uh, We are going to be having some guests lined up uh, within the next uh, few weeks. uh, where I'm going to be doing some interviews, and I'm looking forward to that. You can find the podcast, of course, as always, on SoundCloud and iTunes. I am just resigned at this point. I don't know if we're ever going to get on Spotify. I continue to try, but I do have some very encouraging news. Uh, The podcast, uh, there's a good chance we're going to be able to launch the podcast on YouTube because there is uh, some software out there. There's a, um, a company... And I don't want to say uh, the company yet because I have not worked out and finalized my agreement with them. But we might have a situation where I'm going to be able to take these audio podcasts and be able to make them into videos, which is extremely, extremely exciting. So we'll see uh, how that goes uh, in the coming weeks and months. And uh, hopefully we can continue to get the, uh, the word out to others. Again... The greatest compliment of all to me, to any other podcaster, share, 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 and subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Thank you as always for tuning in and make sure not to email me.